Blog Talk Radio. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. All right, folks, this is Brother Frank back for another episode of The Remnant Call, and I am glad you're here with me. And I'll tell you what, if you didn't hear the last two episodes of Brother Benjamin's testimony, part one and part two, you've got to check those out. They are must-hear episodes. Um, You know, the first one, talking about the age of miracles and, and, you know, kind of living on top of the mountain, you know, slaying the prophets of Baal, everything's going good. And in the second half... Um, it took a tough turn, and the Lord showed Benjamin some serious stuff and, and some been some hard years. But, you know, through all of it, God never leaves us. He never forsakes us, but he does refine us. He does purify. And, you know, we do the same with our own children, but it's normally a lot of times we do it, especially in front of other people because they've embarrassed us. But we do overall normally want the good of our children, but sometimes it's not always always for the best motives when we discipline or we chasten our own kids, um, even though many times it is. But God's motives are always pure. And the Lord knows you better than you know yourself. And God understands exactly what's going on. And, and folks, don't ever forget, there is an enemy out there that is trying to kill you. He's trying to wreck your life and ruin you so that you will deny and be angry at God. But remember, the Lord is there fighting for you. It's interesting how God gets the blame for absolutely everything out there. And he's the one who comes to save his own people. They hang him on a cross, and and Yeshua looks out, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even when he should have calmed down fire from heaven on a deserving people who literally called out curse on them and their children of his blood. Well, that same blood ended up being their healing for those that would accept. But he didn't. He instead asked for forgiveness. The Lord knows what we need, and he is there to fight even when the enemy is after us. And God knows when to say no, and he knows when to, that sometimes there are some things we will go through. And we need to remember that as we're struggling through stuff. Because if you could see the future, if you could see yourself in five years, if you could see yourself in five days or five months, if you could see yourself what was going to happen, if you could know that, you might understand what God is going to do. Because you know when you've been through those trials, you know when you go through those scenarios, and all the dust settles, and all the, the fog clears out, and everything's back to normal again, how many times we look back and say, oh, Lord, wow, I didn't understand then, but now I do. And so remember that in the trial you're in now, or the one you might come upon. 
Well, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, in Yeshua's name, thank you so much for the blessing of knowing you. Lord, there is only one thing in this world that can satisfy, that can justify, that can sanctify, and that can purify. And that's you, Father, the blood of your Son, that is able to cleanse the most wickedest of sinners if they should but call upon his name. And so, Lord, I ask tonight that this program, Lord, that I'm sharing tonight, it's not only for the audience, Lord, it's for me too. Would you bless it, Father, in your Son's holy and precious name, Yeshua. Amen. Well, praise God. Tonight's episode topic, or if you're listening on YouTube, maybe it's during the day, I'm not sure, but holy desperation. Holy desperation. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been so desperate for something? I mean, so desperate, you would do absolutely anything to get it. Now, I'm going to share a little story about myself when I was a little kid. I lived back in West Virginia at the time, and and there was, we lived in a little town. Well, everything was a little town. It was pretty rural everywhere we were at. And and for about a two month, a three month period of time, I th- maybe it was not very long. We lived in this little town called Billington. I was from Philippi back there, but we lived there. And and, and I remember there's this store on the corner, and I they had those little plastic BB guns, and we were really poor. And didn't have hardly any money. And I wanted one of those BB guns so much that I couldn't take it. Now, I was never raised to steal or do anything wrong. But I was so desperate to have one of those that I went into that store. And when the guy wasn't looking there, I mean, I was just a little tiny kid. Maybe, I don't know if I was in first grade or kindergarten. I was a little kid. And I remember grabbing that thing and running out well you know it didn't take too long before i was i loaded that thing up and i was shooting at the coal trucks driving down by i can remember doing that well my mom came down by and found me doing that she said uh where'd you get that and well let's just say it ended up not being a very good day for me but i know that's not the best illustration in the world But you see, I was so desperate, I was actually willing to do whatever it took, even though I knew that there was going to be a cost or a price to be paid, potentially, for what I was about to do. And even though it was for all the wrong reason, the point was, I was desperate and willing to do absolutely anything, no matter what it cost. You know, I want to turn to a scripture tonight as we begin to get into this episode here. Matthew chapter 5, if you just turn with me here, you'll be very familiar with Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes there. Well, it's going to start in verse 1. It says this, And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they, blessed are the meek, excuse me, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they 
shall be filled. So here the Lord's talking about, and if you notice, he he really talks about the poor, the destitute through these beatitudes. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's it's one thing to be poor, right? You know, maybe it's good, maybe it's not. But if you're poor and in the spirit, you're as rich as can be. You know that? See, it doesn't matter if you're poor, if you know the Lord. And trust me, I, I, I thought I was poor, but I didn't realize how poor people could be until years ago. My wife and I really, really began to work in with the homeless, and I started to get over into missions work. And even though I'd been around the world in the military and stuff, but I really started to understand what it meant to be poor. But when you find that poor person who knows the Lord, who is in love with Jesus, they are a different person than anybody else. Because no matter what happens, they know the Lord is going to take care of them. And so even though they may be homeless at the moment, even though they may not have anything, they have joy in their heart and gladness because the Lord is taking care of them. And he goes on, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Are you picking up? God cares about those who are broken in this world. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The Lord says, you know what? Yeah, there's rich. There's, there's great people, great minds. No, but it's the meek. They're the ones setting up for an inheritance. The humble, the meek, the lowly in heart. Do you remember Jesus said, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You know what's interesting? Jesus didn't say learn from me. He said learn of me. If you want to know who I am, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And see, Jesus was saying that I am. this is who I am. I don't want you to just learn from me that I'm setting a good example. No, you want to know the very core and the fabric of who Yeshua is? He is meek and lowly in heart. And then he kind of wraps this up in verse 6. And says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So I have a question for you. Are you desperate for God? Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Is there a holy desperation within you that says, I will not rest until I can see Jesus? You see, I want you to ask yourself honestly, do you really hunger and thirst after righteousness or are you simply just doing this Jesus thing so that you can end up saved in the kingdom and escape the fires of hell? Is that why you serve the Lord? Or do you serve him because you want more of him? You know what you've done. You're in awe for what he has done for you. And you want to serve him. And the only reason you serve him is because you're close to him. You see, it's interesting. It says you hunger and thirst after righteousness. You want to do the right thing. See, I've found so many people, in the, when they read the Word of God, they want to find out what they can do because they don't want to hear the can't do's because that steps on their parade a little bit. 
So a lot of times people will read. I had a good friend. I, boy, I wish I had him on the show tonight. Could have told, she used to share this story how when he was young. He would try to read his way in the Bible around things. He was raised pretty religious home, and he would try to figure out how, what he could get away with. But the problem is in most of the churches and in the home churches and, and even in the home fellowships, and maybe you're just worshiping alone right now. And so maybe that's and maybe you're you're different than this, but a lot of places today there is there seems to be no intense desire to know the Lord and to hunger and thirst after his righteousness. You see, when Christ becomes a part of a person's life, they cannot stop talking about him. They cannot stop doing what the Lord wants to do. They can hardly be quiet because they want to share from the top of the mountains what the Lord has done. But when people get complacent, when churches take away the truth of God, then Christ is no longer magnified and meaningful in the believer's life. And what happens after a while, the God that we once hungered and thirsted for, we become very complacent and happy with that a verse a day kind of keeps the devil away mentality. Now, we'll wrap it in righteousness when we're around other believers. No, don't get me wrong there, right? Praise the Lord. How's it? Oh, brother, how are Oh, God's blessing. Hallelujah. When the truth is you're falling apart right now and everything in your life is messed up, but we'll wrap it in righteousness because dare anybody know the truth of the disaster that your life might be in in this moment. So instead of seeking help, confessing, coming open and saying, I need some help. and see, No, no, we wrap it up in righteousness because we dare not have our reputations tarnished. And so we find that in churches today, instead of being of houses of hungering and thirsting after the righteousness of the Lord, they end up becoming nothing but a social gathering of a bunch of happy fat Christians who just want to simply please their flesh with their music and their and their gatherings together but Lord help us if we ever call out the truth in obeying the very word of God there has got to be some reason today as to why why there are so many churches that have such an absolute lack for the zeal of God Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. I want to look at this starting here for a moment. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And when he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when he knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now, you might be wondering where I'm going with this right now. I asked the question, why is there such a lack of zeal towards God in the churches today? Well, I think this story is going to answer it right here. And so, uh, verse 39 now, when a Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what matter of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. 
And Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. He didn't realize that this was the king of kings and the Lord of lords that was in his house, that he could actually read minds and understand what people are thinking about. Folks, the Lord knows what's on your mind, and he knows what's in your heart. And so Jesus continues on and says to him, verse 41, There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when he had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto him, Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs on her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. This woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. And so here, Jesus is calling Simon out and saying, You know what? You see this woman for a filthy sinner that she is. She really is. She is a filthy sinner. Without we folks, we all need Christ, and you see her for this filthy sinner. But here I came into your house, right? And maybe maybe it's that poor person that you saw on the road that you passed by, or maybe it's that person that needed something and you didn't give it to him. But he says, "I came into my, your house there, Simon, right? And you didn't have any any water to wash the Lord's feet. Wow, that's horrible." He said, you know, you didn't even give me a kiss, yet this woman is kissing my feet nonstop. You could have given me a little oil to anoint my head with. But this woman, she's anointed my feet with ointment. And he's like, you know what? You're such a hypocrite. You only see her problems, yet you cannot see your own problems. And the reason he couldn't see his own problems and the reason many people cannot see why they have no zeal for the Lord is coming up in the following verse. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. You see, the Lord's calling him out and saying, you know what, Simon, the reason your problem is, the reason you think you've got no problems, because you've never been forgiven for anything, man. You think you got it all together. You think your contribution to this dinner this day for the Lord is something great. But the truth is, this woman here has nothing, and her contribution is outweighing your contribution, which is worth nothing, because you're not willing to understand how bad a situation is. You've never been forgiven. You have no love for other people. You see, folks, what happens is, is that when you have never been forgiven, when you don't understand the rottenness of your sinful nature, and you've been coming to church, and you've been told, oh, Jesus loves you, right? He Come follow the Lord. He'll improve your life, improve your finances. And it's all this humanistic type of preaching instead of understanding that you are a wretched, fallen 
creature in need of the grace of God. And without the absolute grace of God, you are truly lost. But even in your absolute losses, the Lord still is calling you to be with him. And because you've not been forgiven, well, you have trouble loving other people. And therefore, there's nothing to be thankful to God towards. Because we simply followed him out of humanism for the desires and the gifts that we could get. And you might say, no, Brother Frank, that's not me. I, I, I wouldn't do that. I don't, I don't follow the Lord because of what I can get. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I live a poor life. I'm not worried about that. Well, that's sometimes, folks, unfortunately, a misconception we have. Sometimes we only see that because we think about the here and now. When many times we follow the Lord for what we can get later. See, are you following the Lord for simply because he laid his life down and he loves you and what he's did, he is worthy of it? Are you following him for the gifts that you can get later in heaven? Is that what you follow the Lord for? See, it's not always the right here and now that we can be humanistic, but it's the gifts that we can get later that we can also follow the Lord for. I'm only following the Lord so I can escape hell. Or are we following the Lord because he's simply worthy? You see, I've come to the conclusion that there is a gospel that's being preached today that is so watered down that you can come to Jesus not only just as you are, which I thank God for, hallelujah, but that you can stay just as you are and no one will ever say anything about it. And I'm going to give you textbook. I've said this before, and it, it irks me to no end. That I'll be around people that call themselves Christian and to be the men. And as soon as you get away from them and they think everybody's alone, it's okay to start cursing and swearing because we're just men around. And I realize that the unconverted heart thinks that he can get away with things when he's not around other people. When the truth is that you don't bless and swear out of the same mouth. Now, I, I admit you can all fall, get upset, backslide for a moment. I'm not talking about that. You know what I'm talking about. This free thinking feeling that it's okay to, to say what we want to say when nobody's around that, you know, that goes to church or it's just the guys. It's okay. It's not okay. When we follow the Lord, we follow him whether we're in church, we're out of church, we're around believers, or we're not around believers. See, there's a reason why churches today don't look any different than what's in the world. We used to be a people that, that we called out our other fellow brethren to be separate, to come out of her, my people, to touch not the unclean thing. But this new theology is you can't judge anything, and you have to, you, you got to just love, and you can never call sin out by its name. And because of this type of teaching, people don't feel that they have been forgiven much because there is nothing to be forgiven from because sin is no longer exceedingly sinful. We don't realize that the best we have to offer is simply filthy rags. See, we end up being like the, like the Pharisee when Jesus was house. He thought what he had to offer was an amazing contribution by having the Lord over to his house. When the truth was, the woman that was at his feet understood that she needed the Lord more than anything when he should have been at the same place, and that's at the Lord's feet as that wretched, sinful woman was. And that day, she was finding mercy, and he was being rebuked. Each one of us, 
at some point in our lives have been so repulsive and steeped in sin that we couldn't realize we were so lost we could never find our way out without the cross of Jesus Christ. So I ask you again, is sin exceedingly sinful to you? Are you desperate for God? Do you weep over the sinfulness of, this church, of the churches today? Do you weep over the sinfulness in your own heart? Are you broken for the lost? Do you fall on your knees at the very thought of sinning against the Lord? See, folks, where is the holy desperation in God's people anymore? Where is this cry in our hearts that says, I will not rest until I have more of the Lord? We need a wake-up call, believers. We need a wake-up call, church. Jesus is coming. Are you ready to meet the Lord? You know, it's interesting. When looking at the Word of God, you know, when you look at, in the book of Exodus, Moses, the Bible says, was the most humblest man ever at his time on earth back then. And, of course, until the Lord came. And that's a pretty amazing thing to have said, that you're the humblest person ever. But it's interesting what we find about this humble man in Exodus 33, 8, starting in verse 8 and 18. If you want to turn there with me to Exodus 33, you know, jumping back in Exodus 32, the Lord, he, he's frustrated. Okay, he's ready to wipe, he's ready to start over, wipe these people out. I mean, he is just absolutely done. And if you, I, I, I've said this so many times, I challenge everybody: read the book of Exodus. Take one day, you know, take an hour or two, and read the whole book from beginning to end. I promise you, it will change your perspective, and you will feel the absolute frustration that God absolutely felt. When he just literally just couldn't take it anymore. But twice in the book of Exodus, I mean, Moses has to plead with, with God, you know, for his mercy. I mean, the Lord is just simply ready to just wipe the people out and start all over again. And so picking up here in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 8, it says, And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle, that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man at, in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend, and he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. You know, Moses is in a desperate situation here. The children of Israel are absolutely frustrating. Their hearts have been back in Egypt. They're an absolute disaster. 
You know, the, he's already had to plead for mercy for them, you know, to God not to wipe them out because they absolutely deserve it. I mean, we're talking over a million people here. I can only imagine the pressure that Moses is feeling at this moment of what's going on. He is in a terrible situation. And so he cries out because God's talking to him face to face. This is the real deal right here. The Lord is speaking to him, it says, as a friend, like face to face. And so Moses says, Lord, you told me that you're going to, you know, you're going to uh, bring up this people and thou hast not let me know whom wilt thou send with me. And he said, he said, Lord, you, you told me what you're going to do, but you're, you, you haven't let me in. Who's coming, Lord? I, I'm in a bad situation. You're, you're keeping me in the dark here. You know, I mean, I, you can feel Moses's pain right now. And he's like, Lord, I know you, you said you know me by name, but he's like, why can't I know this? And so God, out of his tender grace and love and mercy, he says to him, now, now therefore, I pray thee, or excuse me, Moses says, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I might find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And so, so Moses says to him, look, Lord, okay, I, I, you haven't shown me yet, but still, if I have found grace in your sight, then show me now, Lord, how I might know you and how I might find grace in your sight and that you would consider that this nation is your people. So Moses is in this desperate situation. And he's pleading because he's he's in a bad situation, and he and he's like, Lord, you haven't showed me, but in, you know he's out of his mind in a way for a second. He's kind of pleading, but then you hear him kind of coming around. He says, Lord, that's fine. Whatever, God, just please show me one thing, Lord. Show me how I can find grace in your sight. Show me how I can know you. Show me the way that I may know thee, that I might find grace in thy sight. All Moses wanted to do in his desperate situation was know God. And so the Lord, out of his absolute grace, in verse 15 he said, and he said unto him, if thy present go not with me, or excuse me, this is Moses says, and if thy present go not with me, carry us not up hence. He says, you know what, Lord? If you're not going, I don't want to go. Don't even take us, Lord. Unless you're going with me, don't even take us. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, and I and thy people from the people that are upon the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I will know thee by name. So Moses says, Lord, I don't even want to go if you won't be with me. Lord, it's not even worth it. If you're not going to be there, I'm not even going. Lord, show me how to know you. And so God says, you know what, Moses? I heard you. You've got my grace and mercy. Moses, I'm going with you. Don't worry. I'm going with you. You found grace in my sight. And Moses, I know you by name. All Moses wanted in his worst of situations was to know God. And the Lord says, you know what, Moses? 
you found the grace and mercy. I know you by name. And you would think, man, I can't believe God just said, man, can you, God knows me by name, hallelujah, what an honor, he's going to be with me. I, I can't believe it. I mean, you would think if Moses would be like just running out of the temple, jumping and shouting for joy, it's going to be okay. It's going to be enough. But it wasn't even, that wasn't even enough for Moses. He still wasn't content. See, Moses was so desperate that even though the Lord said, I know you by name, I'm going with you, it's going to be okay. Moses looks out and he says, Lord, please, one more thing in verse 18. And he says this, I beseech you, I beseech thee, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Moses wanted even more. He wanted to know God's glory. It wasn't enough that Moses, had, the Lord already promised him. It wasn't enough that he had found how to change the very heart of God when he, when he called out, God was ready to destroy him, and he, and he, he showed the compassion in wanting God's mercy. And, and, and Lord, the Lord changed his heart about it, and he, he showed mercy on him. And it wasn't enough that he said, I'm going to go with you, and, and you found grace. And he says, no, Lord, that, that's not even enough. I got to see your glory. I got to see your glory. Folks, have you desired to see God's glory? Or have you been just simply coasting along in your walk as a believer? You see, we are living in perilous times. And I'm going to tell you why these times are so deceptive. Because right now the economy's gotten a little bit better. Things seem to be going along economically. But the fact is we are so filled full of sin and, and unholy, ungodly desires and a church that does not even have the cross of Jesus Christ anymore in it. There's no repentance anymore. And because the economy looks a little bit better, we think for a second, it's okay. But we haven't wept through a single night in the last 20 years of our walk from God with God. And we're wondering, Lord, why aren't you doing something in my life? And God's saying, you don't really want me, do you? You see, the Lord came and he showed everything when he laid his life down. He said, you were worth it. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. I'm going all the way with this thing. I'm taking it to the end. And God's wondering when you're going to get serious about your walk with him. You see, when people haven't been forgiven, they have little to be thankful for. And when we take this sin and we treat it so haphazardly like it's no big deal it is a big deal and you and yourself will never overcome but the god of this universe can overcome for you and that's why we need him and the way you find deliverance is at the feet of jesus because that's where mercy is you know the bible says that the footstool the mercy seat is the footstool of god that's where the father rests his feet at and when you fall at the feet of the lord you're falling right at mercy and god's looking for some people that are desperate see so many people you keep thinking we we, we can somehow earn this thing you can't earn this thing you cannot earn it it is out of absolute mercy 
that God offers salvation to a sinner like you and me. But that doesn't give us a license to sin. Grace is not a license to sin. It is the power to live holy. And don't let anybody else tell you that. It is the power to live holy. Grace came so that sin would no longer have dominion over us. Look it up. It's in the word of God. And the Lord is wondering, where are those that are hungering and thirsting after righteousness? I wonder if they're sleeping in church. I wonder when was the last time they got on their faces and wept before a holy God. Folks, this is the amazing thing about the Lord. It doesn't matter how messed up you've been. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. What matters is what are you going to do with this message right now when you're hearing it? Are you going to turn around? Are you going to seek the Lord? Are you going to get desperate for him? Are you going to keep on continuing doing what you're doing from this point forward? It's in your hands. The ball's in your court. It doesn't matter that you haven't felt genuine repentance. You tell the Lord that. Lord, I know I need to do this. I'm not even feeling. Lord, help me do what, that which I cannot do. Lord, help thou my unbelief. Help me. You see, everybody's in need of help, and the help comes from the Lord. That's why we cannot overcome on our own. It has to be through the Lord. He's the one who overcomes. You've got to seek him with all of your heart. Stop fighting your sins and start seeking the Lord. There was nothing for that woman to do except sit at the feet of Jesus and weep with her tears, and she found mercy in his eyes. While the self-righteous Pharisee sat there thinking his life and his contribution to the kingdom was something amazing, when the truth was he was so lost he couldn't even see it. And unfortunately in so many churches, that is the case today. And God is looking for people that are wholly desperate for him. If you could only see the truth of your true state, you would scream yourself to sleep tonight. And all God's asking is for you to come home and cry out unto him. The ball is truly in your court. This is Brother Frank with the Remnant Call saying, Good night and shalom. Trumpet in Zion, sounding on the mountain. Though a trumpet in Zion, sounding on the mountain. Though a trumpet in Zion.